The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Here, uh, as we get into the Word, there's a few things that we'll, we'll be looking for that we'll find. If you're taking notes, you can jot these things down, things that we're going to uh, discover together here. Uh, one thing that we're going to find is where grace and peace uh, can be found, where grace and peace can be uh, identified in your life. Now, that's an interesting thing to me personally because it seems like the need for grace and peace in different situations and circumstances is ever-present. Uh, I don't know... Uh, if you uh, uh, find yourself in moments where in the day where you, you are uh, dealing with uh, uh, circumstances that may be seeming uh, or seemingly overwhelming, uh, there are some things that, that people will tell you to, to look for, uh, like deep sighs. You ever find yourself deep sighing, right? If you keep a count of stuff like that, you know, maybe your phone rings, you look down, you see who's calling and you get one of these like, ah, you know, right? So now if you ever call me and you hear that on the other end, don't take it personally, right? There's probably a few things going on. But we just deal with stuff, and it wears on you. I mean, no matter how tough you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how deep your capacities run, eventually your capacities have a, a limit, you know. Uh, we use a, a term today that we didn't use years back, but bandwidth. I mean, it's only so much, and when it starts to be depleted, it has an effect. So there's a place where there's a need for grace, a need for peace, and there's a place where that's found. We're going to find it. Uh, another thing we're going to find is what we need to know. There's a, a very specific uh, thing that we need to know. We'll see that in the Scripture. And then uh, what equates to, a third thing we'll find is what equates to in the Scripture eternal life. Now, as a Christian, I, I grew up hearing about eternal life. In fact, as Christianity was presented to me in, in my youth, it was presented as a, a decision, a choice that resulted in eternal life. And that is true. Those, that's a very true thing. Uh, and there are reasons why that's true. But we're going to find out what the Scripture reveals is the uh, uh, equivalent or the biblical identification or description of what that eternal life is. So as we get into the Word here, there's a place we're going to start. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 is revealing uh, some wonderful and powerful truths about God's call on your life. Uh, we'll get right into that and we'll see how that call is brought to pass. So 2 Peter chapter 1 if we begin in verse 3, we'll find this, that God's divine power has given you everything you need as it concerns life and godliness. He's done this through the true knowledge of him who called us to his glory and his excellence. Uh, by these things, he's given us precious and magnificent promises so that by them, we might become partakers in his divine nature and escape the corruption that exists in this world through lust. Now, in verse 5, we begin to see these promises. Uh, now, now, for this reason also, apply with all diligence to your faith, moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. It goes on to identify the, the results of these things when they're applied. It talks about these things making our lives productive and fruitful. It identifies that if these things are, are missing in our lives, it's, it's an absence of the awareness of God's goodness and his favor, his mercy, and his grace active in our lives. Ultimately, what's identified by the time you get down to around verse 11 
is that through these promises is granted entry into the kingdom of God. Really wonderful things attached to these promises that are list here, listed here. Excuse me. Now, last week we talked about moral excellence. We talked about what, what moral excellence is identified as in the scripture and, and how it is applied. Today I want to talk about knowledge, and I, I want to take this in a little different direction than we've gone in the past. Uh, I want to talk about knowledge in, in, one, how it's defined in the scripture, and then, two, how it is revealed and obtained uh, through biblical instruction here. So as we get to this awareness that these are things God's brought into our lives on purpose, these are things that ought to be pursued and sought after very intentionally. I mean, I think it's very important that we don't just accidentally stumble on success, even though that's nice. I mean, a win is a win, right? It's still a W. But I want to, to come to the place where these things are sought after and pursued intentionally for the purpose of walking in the way which God's called us to on purpose. Uh, so we see that God supplied that moral excellence. We talked about that last week, that that uh, had a, a biblical definition of, of being a, a courageous or valor. Uh, one of the definitions was uh, manliness, you know. So that uh, was an interesting perspective to take as we look through the word especially with some of the uh, events that were taking place in my own house uh, last week with my sons uh, turning 13. That was a bit, really big deal. Now, today I want to talk about knowledge, and I want to go to the concordance to supply a definition here, because I think if we just look at knowledge and take it at face value for how we use that word today, it, it might be a little watered down and limited. It's more than just information. Rather, knowledge is specific information, and specific information in this case, once again, is rooted in morality. So if you turn to the concordance for the word knowledge here, and the concordance is basically a dictionary for Bible words, you're going to find a, a number of, of different uh, definitions. Uh, so these definitions are all similar, and they all enrich each other as you read through them, and you'll see their application and, and their importance uh, as we, we move through them. So Knowledge, by definition, would mean knowing. Uh, that doesn't really help me much. It also means to know. <laughs> and then this word is thrown in there, and I think this word is really interesting because it's a word that I don't really think of a lot when I think of uh, uh, ancient writings and, and biblical text. The word science. Now, science is a word that we've heard a lot over the past couple of years, right? I mean, that's been a big buzzword. Now, depending on on what side of that science one might be, you would have heard that through different uh, ears. One would be encouraged by the word, one would, would be frustrated by the word, it would just depend. And, and the science, so to speak, that we see here is, is something that has to be established as a true. It can't just be something that's made up and labeled as such. I mean, it needs to be information that is accurate. And that's really the challenge when it comes to knowledge. Because knowledge is always going to be founded upon information. The question is, is the information true or not? And in this situation, when we get down to knowledge and what knowledge is as it's described in the scripture, we'll see that it's very much connected to the things that God's bringing into our life through Jesus. I'm going to continue in these, definition, these definitions. Excuse me. Knowledge signifies general intelligence. So I think we can all get on board with that, right? I mean, general intelligence is a good thing. If you're not sure about that, just come and work around someone that lacks general intelligence. And by the end of the day, you'll be convinced that general intelligence is definitely a good thing. Uh, thank you, God, for bringing knowledge into our lives. You know, uh, general intelligence is a big help. Uh, the, the following definition would be a deeper, more perfect 
uh, enlarged knowledge specifically of uh, religion and religious subjects. It goes on to continue to, to bring knowledge into a specific uh, direction of the scripture, especially of the things lawful and unlawful for Christians. Well, anytime you use words like law in, in a Christian church, it can provoke all kinds of controversy. I'm just reading what the concordance says here. And then now this, this last word, uh, last definition here, and this is the one that I want to hang our hats on, moral wisdom, such as is seen in right living. Moral wisdom. Now, this definition is the one that I would pull from based on context. Now, I mean, I'm getting older, so I'm getting further and further removed from my school days. But if you can think back to your school days, you know, sitting in a language arts class, reading and learning English and, and you know, sitting in the classroom, do you remember something called context clues? Your context clues. Well, if you don't, that's okay. Basically, what context clues were, it was drawing conclusions based on the context of what was being said. Uh, and so in this case, if we're taking the context of this passage of Scripture, that God has called us to his nature, and that the first step in that was moral excellence, then I think because of those context clues, we can draw that this is probably the best definition of the word knowledge to be used. It's being attached to morality, that being attached to the nature of God, that being the thing that God is bringing to our lives through this passage of Scripture. So as we read this, I think it's important to see that God has called us to his nature by supplying us with moral excellence and then with moral wisdom or the knowledge of moral things. I mean, as we consider knowledge this morning, I'd like for us to take on and adopt that definition for the purpose of our pursuit. So if, if knowledge of moral things or moral wisdom is a part of this uh, stepping into and partaking of the divine nature, I think it's important to know why God would bring that into our lives. I mean, it's not just to give us uh, busy work or, or to keep us occupied so that we don't get bored. Rather, it's got results attached to it. I mentioned to you before we're going to find where to find grace and where to find peace. I want to give you a passage of scripture here for your notes. It's actually the verse that opens up the passage that we just read, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It reads like this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, it's really nothing more than the greeting in a letter. I mean, that's really what this is, but if we stop and we pause and we identify this as a Holy Spirit-inspired greeting and we begin to look at what the words are, are saying and what those words that are being said actually mean, we see something really great. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You could also say it this way without changing its meaning. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Just in this simple greeting, this salutation, that we see grace and peace comes through the catalyst of knowing God and knowing Jesus. Now, there's been a lot of times where I've needed grace or I've needed peace, and that's been my prayer. You know, Father, I need grace, or Father, I need peace, and that's fantastic. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God for those things. But what I see now in this is that those things come through knowing who God is and knowing who Jesus is. So if there is a catalyst or if there is a pipeline for peace, so to speak, or, or a way in which 
uh, these, these wonderful things such as grace come into my life, I want to pursue that. I want to know uh, and have access to that for the purpose of receiving the benefit of those things. And in this case, it's knowing God and knowing Jesus. Now, that could take your prayer and alter it a little bit. I mean, if grace and peace are the result of knowing who God is or knowing who Jesus is, in a situation where grace or peace is needed, I think it would be an effective prayer to ask God, Father, will you show me who you are in this? Jesus, will you show me who you are in this? I'm frustrated. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm subject to compromise. I definitely need grace, and I definitely need peace. And if those things are the result of knowing who you are, then I need to see who you are right here, right now, in this. So I want to tip my hand a little bit and and confess. Uh, Confession is a part of church, right? So you can get used to that. So as, as I, I tend to, to go through my day, I engage people in conversation, and I find that my conversations start to sound all, they start, start to sound the same. Uh, I'm older now, and I've got greater interest in, you know, the world around me, operate a, a couple of small businesses and things like that. So, uh, you know, things that used to not affect me at all in the world of politics now have a big effect on me. So that has an effect on my opinions, and I'm finding that the things that have an effect on my opinions now have an effect on my conversation. That's a long way of saying I talk about politics a lot. Like, a lot. Like, it's too, like at home, it's kind of banned and forbidden. It's like, you know, why don't you go outside and talk to the dog for a little while, because we've heard it, you know. And what's funny is even like before service, it was amazing, you know. I mean, we're preparing our hearts for praise and worship, and the worship team receives communion in the back, and it's always really... You know, a sweet and pleasant time. Of course, you know, everyone here is fairly familiar with each other. So when you have uh, really great people, it's easy to have a great time, you know. But I realize, I, th- I think every week that my conversation, I'll tip the conversation. Somebody can be talking about something else and it'll be like, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? And all of a sudden, there it goes, you know. And during praise and worship this morning, I, I had this conviction and the conviction wasn't just like, hey, you talk about that too much, you know, but the conviction was, Not what I talk about, but what I don't talk about. That was what the conviction was. Not what I do talk about, but what I don't talk about. And the thought was this. How come I never talk about the fact that Jesus is on his throne? How come I never talk about the truth that God's still in charge? How come I don't open and close every one of those conversations? There's no doubt there's some serious nonsense in the world, but but why isn't it bookended by the truth that Jesus reigns? Oh yeah, that guy said that. But don't forget, Jesus reigns, you know. And that kind of conviction was really great. I feel like that was a moment of, of knowledge being introduced into my life. To bring a, an awareness of a situation, to bring improvement and direction to something that would otherwise be a catalyst for uh, chaos and confusion, the opposite of grace and peace. And so as we look to obtain knowledge in our life, I don't want to just simply stumble on it. I want to pursue it. And, and, and I want to obtain it intentionally. I want to give you uh, some keys to obtaining moral wisdom, some keys to obtaining knowledge. We're going to look to the scripture for a few of these. Uh, and, and so one of these we're going to find, first of all, is going to be from the book of Hosea. Hosea 4, verse 6. One of the keys to obtaining knowledge, you know, knowledge being that catalyst for peace and that catalyst for grace, is going to be that it has to be received. 
Now we're going to read this. We've got to read between the lines a little bit, but I think we're capable of that. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. It says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because they reject knowledge, they then know rejection. I mean, it, 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 your translation may read a little different. If you continue to read, it even starts to get worse. I mean, it, it's a pretty dark situation to reject the knowledge of God. It's, it's not a good position to be in. So when I read that passage of Scripture, what I understand is the knowledge that God's bringing into my life needs to be received. Whether I receive it or not doesn't define it as true or false. Whether I receive it or not defines whether or not that truth has an effect on my life. And in this case, the need to receive God's knowledge is important. As we go through the scripture, as we see the things that God would call us to, it's important for those things to be embraced. Let me give you another uh, key to obtaining knowledge, knowing that knowledge is that catalyst for peace and that catalyst for grace that we need. Uh, Here's one for you. Love discipline. I mean, that one's hard to swallow a little bit. Another way to say that would be to love correction. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Proverbs, Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates discipline is a fool. So discipline is a word that I, I don't necessarily like to use, mainly because of its, its ease to take out of context or misunderstand. Discipline is by far the right translation. It's the right word. However, if that word has shifted in its understanding or perception over time, the right word could communicate the wrong message. Now, oftentimes, we think of of discipline and easily confuse it with punishment. Now, we've brought that up a few times in services in the past. Big difference between punishment and discipline. In fact, by definition, punishment involves vindication. I mean, it's something done out of vindication. I mean, you did that, now you're going to suffer the consequences. That's called payback, right? Now, discipline is, is better stated in our current vernacular as correction. I mean, discipline would be correcting course. If you're off, you, you make a correction and an adjustment. Uh, oftentimes on, on vacations and trips, my refusal to read the map correctly leads to the need to make corrections. I mean, That is something that happens. You don't take it personally, even though as a man I do take it a little personally. You just make the adjustment and it fixes the problem. That's what discipline is. And God brings that into our life. The question is, is that something that we can embrace? Now here's what this passage of scripture isn't saying. It it isn't saying that you love that process because the scripture says that process is, is not real enjoyable. I mean, Hebrews chapter 12 around verse 11 says nobody likes when they're being disciplined, it's not joyful. Rather, it's even sorrowful. But then it goes on to say this, but when it's had its way and when one is trained, the results are enjoyed. And those results are are righteousness and peace. Those are really great results. So this passage of Scripture isn't saying, hey, you need to love the process of being disciplined. This, This passage of Scripture is just saying, hey, listen, you need to understand the results that come with that And no, even though the process might be difficult, it's worth it. So this is a a passage of scripture that opens up a deeper conversation. You could preach a whole message on this mainly because it's such a big part of everybody's life. But the question is, can we be taught? Are we teachable?
If correction comes into our lives, is it something that is embraced as being something that's good for us, or is it something that is rejected because it's uh, not comfortable or because it goes against our ideals or our perception of what should be ideal? In this situation, there's a lot of things that can be called into question, but it's important for us to remember that we are the clay and that God is the potter. He is the one shaping and molding us. We are not the one shaping and molding him. Can we embrace discipline? The one that can embrace discipline is the one that will love, embrace, and have the results of knowledge, those results being grace and peace. Uh, let me give you another one. This one is, is, is uh, a little bit hard to pull off sometimes, depending on who's around, okay? So don't take that personally. This is a great congregation to, to make good on this situation, this situation being uh, how to obtain knowledge. Proverbs 14, beginning in verse 6, it reads like this, A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to the one who has understanding. Now here's verse 7 where the rubber kind of meets the road here. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. I mean, let me just kind of sum this up in, in, in the common tongue. Surround yourself with wise people. <laughs> I love the people in this room. There's a lot of wise people in this room. That's easy to do in this room. Uh, but surround yourself with wise people. If you're wanting to obtain knowledge, don't surround yourself with foolish people. And it's easy to surround yourself with people today, easier than ever. You don't even have to leave your house to be exposed to other people's voices thanks to you know, all of the technology, connection, communications, and social media platforms, and all of those things. It's very important to surround yourself with the right voices, and the right voices for the pursuit of knowledge are going to be wise people. Uh, I remember in my youth, after being born again, after becoming a Christian, uh, I, you know, was subject to mild ribbing and ridicule. I mean, made fun of just a little bit because my circle of friends were, were all older people, way older than me, people who, who were empty nesters. Their kids had grown and moved out. Those were the people that I hung out with day in and day out, mainly because I valued what they brought into my life. Now, we live in a, a world and a culture that subjects or that, that is subject to a, a principle that's not very helpful when it comes to growth and maturity, and that's that principle of birds of a feather. Yeah. So you kind of stick with your own, right? But if you stick with your own, you're stuck with your own. That's as good as it's going to get. And that's really something that's important to realize. If I stick with my own, I'm stuck with my own. I want to surround myself with people that are, have gone further than I am. I want to surround myself with people that are moving in the same direction that I'm going, but are already ahead of me so that they can lead and they can guide and their advice can be helpful. And then I want to be that person for somebody else so that we can all keep advancing and all keep moving. I want to surround myself with wise people. Here's another key to obtaining knowledge is we pursue knowledge, that catalyst for grace and that catalyst for peace. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. There's a big chunk of scripture here we're going to read, and I'll begin reading it now. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. If you'll cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. Seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. 
then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Uh, first of all, there's a couple things here that I can't help but point out because I think they're funny. I love the fact that, that wisdom and knowledge and understanding are, are categorized as her. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I mean, like, I think that's funny. I think it's funny that when I get into a car and, and I turn on my maps, the, the voice, it's always a woman's voice because I think I, I can trust her, right? If a guy tells me, turn left, I'm like, how do you know, <laughs> right? So in this situation, I think what you see here is something that's being revealed to us through a, a series of statements that we already confirmed that knowledge needs to be uh, received, and that's what this opens with. If you will receive my words and treasure them within you. Then you hear these next statements, and these are the ones that I want to point out here as we look to obtain knowledge. Uh, and Make your ear attentive and incline your heart. Make your ear attentive and incline your heart. I mean, those are two things that are, are separate. You could say, well, they're very similar, and that's fine. You could just pick one of them and pay close attention to it, and I think you would like the results. But both of these things have a, a couple of common threads. One of those common threads is these are actions, right? Making your ear attentive and inclining your heart are actions. They're willful actions. A decision is made to do these things. I mean, when you're dealing with decisions, it can have an impact on, on your, your decisions, your, your thoughts, how you position yourself, how you pray. Father, please let my heart be inclined to knowledge today. Let my, my ear be attentive to your voice today. Great, wonderful, powerful things to pray and pursue. But then there's the, the practical uh, application of this. And if I'm going to uh, make my, my ear attentive to, and I'm going to incline my heart to the things that are wise, the things that are of the knowledge of God, that basically means I'm not going to make them attentive to, and I'm not going to incline them to the things that aren't. It's a, it's a, a commitment to prioritize the things that are of God. And we can do that in very practical ways. We can pick and choose what we listen to. We can pick and choose how we spend our time. We can pick and choose who we hang out with. We can make all kinds of choices and decisions that will fulfill this call to make our ear attentive and make our heart be inclined. It's a willful act on the part of the individual in pursuit of knowledge, that which is the catalyst for grace and peace. It's a really great thing to do. I remember when I was first born again, one of the first things that I did and I didn't even realize I was doing it, but it fulfilled this call. I mean, not once and for all, but it was a fulfillment of this call. I made my ear attentive to the Lord. I, I, I unplugged my television. Now, I've always been a, a bit of a, an unsocial being for, for much of my life. And at this time, I was in agriculture. I lived in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I don't think I had a, a neighbor for, for 10 miles, you know. Had three dogs. And, and just it was me and my three dogs, and that was it. You know, wake up in the morning and go work, come home. I mean, it was a pretty quiet life with one exception. The TV was always on. And I remember after I became born again, I, I wanted to get into the Word of God. I wanted to, to, to know more about the things of God. I was very grateful for what God had done in my life. He'd set me free from some very severe addictions in a very miraculous way. And, and there was a hunger and a, a desire to know more about Him. And, and so I remember uh, deciding I'm going to read the scripture and, and I want it to gain uh, more understanding. Of, and, and so as one of the, the efforts to do that, unplug the TV. What was really funny was what would happen when I would get home. 
So many habits had been formed. I remember I would walk in, and I, I can't even do it this direction because the door was here, and I would walk in, you know, the house, and, and, and I would just hit the TV button, the power button, as I would walk by. Not even like sitting down with a remote to see what was on. It was just about introducing that noise in the background. And even after it was unplugged, I would still just walk by out of habit and punch that button. And obviously nothing would happen, but it was, it was such a habit in my life to have that noise in the background that when I decided to cut out those habits that were not fruitful, it made me attentive to the things that were fruitful. Very practical things. So you can take a passage of scripture like this and just ask, God, how can I make my ear attentive to knowledge? How can I make my heart inclined to knowledge? What are some things that I can do to bring this passage of scripture into existence in my life and receive the results? Uh, here, here's another one, and this one is, is a much more uh, churchy uh, answer here, but yet this is the truth. Your prayer life is a real powerful catalyst for pursuing and seeking the knowledge of God. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, I want to read through verse 9. Now, Paul is writing here. He's writing to believers. He's writing to a church, and he makes this very clear that he's praying for these people, and he's praying a very specific prayer. This is a great prayer to adopt and apply to your own life. Pray it for yourself. Pray it over your children. Pray it for coworkers. Pray it for the people around you. Pray it for the congregation of Champions Church. Paul writes, and he says, For this reason also... Since the day that we've even heard of these things, we have not stopped praying for you and asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that... Now, after you see so that in the scripture, you're going to see the results of what was spoken of before. It's cause and effect. The prayers that you be filled with spiritual wisdom, the prayer is that you uh, uh, be uh, filled with knowledge... And the result, so that you will walk in the manner worthy of God's calling on your life. That you'll be pleasing to him in all respects. That you'll be fruitful and productive in every good work. And that you will not stop increasing in the knowledge of God. I mean, if those are the results, if someone presents this to me backwards and just says, Hey Preston, would you like to see to it that you, that your sons, that the people around you, walk in the manner worthy of the calling that comes through Jesus, that the things they do are pleasing to God, that they're fruitful and productive in the things that they do, and that they're always increasing in fellowship with God, their heavenly Father, what would you say to that? My answer to that would be, oh yeah, I want that. And if that's the result of these two prayers, then I want to adopt these two prayers and put them into my life. To pray that we may be filled with knowledge of God's will and that we might be filled with all spiritual wisdom. Great thing to adopt, a great thing to apply to your prayer life, a great thing to add into your intercession. And what a wonderful promise there in the end, increasing in the knowledge of God, continuing to grow in fellowship with God. There's something about that that I find extremely important and, and necessary as far as the scripture is concerned. And before we, we close, I want to offer these thoughts to you. These thoughts we visited last week, that when Moses encountered God, he asked him a question and made a request. He said, Father, show me your ways so that I may know you. 
wanting to know the motive of God, the, the heart of God, in order to actually know who God is and not just simply know information about him. And God's response was, was wonderful and powerful. Ultimately, as God responded, he showed him his heart, his compassion, his graciousness, his slowness to anger, his patience, his, his abounding in loving kindness and truth. Those are the things that God revealed. And as we grow in knowledge of God, those are the things that we grow in knowledge of. And think about how much anxiety, how much stress, how much grief and suffering has to bow down and has to retract as this knowledge increases. God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is patient. God is filled with love for you. And God is filled with kindness towards you. And God has made a way for absolute truth to be the foundation of every aspect of your life. I don't care what the headlines were last week. Those are the things I want to confess. Those are the things I'd like to talk about. Those are the things that I'd like to be at the forefront of my thinking, at the foundation of my heart, that God is good. That he's gracious, that he's compassionate, that he's patient that he's filled with love, that he's filled with kindness, and that he's filled with truth. And as the knowledge of those things increase, not just the knowledge about those things, but the connection to those things, the saturation with those things, it's then in there that I personally believe, and I believe the scripture testifies of this, that that's where we begin to enjoy and indulge in the divine nature, the life that God has called us to. When Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have life abundantly, I'll give you this passage of scripture in closing. John chapter 17, verse 3. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he's praying for you and he's praying for me. And as he prays, he asks God for very specific and wonderful things on, on uh, your behalf. And as he's praying, he makes this statement in his prayer, this statement being a statement of absolute truth that can be embraced in our lives. It ought to cause us to evaluate our priorities to see where the our relationship with God, not just our knowledge about him, but our knowledge of him uh, comes into play on our priority list. John chapter 17, verse 3, it reads like this. I told you before we would find out what equates to eternal life in the scripture. Listen to these words. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the Christ or the Savior whom you've sent. Now, this is our closing passage of Scripture, but I want to emphasize a couple of things here. One thing specifically, that what's not said here is that this is eternal life, that they may know about you, the one true God and the Christ whom you've sent. It's not about information. It's about connection and relationship. This is eternal life, that they may know you and the Christ whom you've sent, that there can be fellowship, that there can be connection, that there can be contact, that there can be a relationship. And as you and I celebrate the relationship that God opened up, made a way for through Jesus, we walk in the life that God promised, the eternal life. Not just something to be attained to someday in the future, but something that is meant to be lived out in our choices and our decisions and our lifestyle right here and right now. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning.
The idea that God would reveal that moral wisdom to us in the scripture is not just simply guidelines for living a good life, but rather these are things that are being imparted as, as a, a, a parent to a child for the purpose of raising up an individual in the prosperous way to go. When we look at these things and we see the importance of, of evaluating who we surround ourselves with, who we listen to, and, and the need to embrace uh, God's correction in our life as he redirects us through choices and decisions that we've made, some of them good, some of them bad. God loves us through all of them, and he's leading us in the way that we should go. As we come to the point where those things become uh, embraced as a manifestation of God's love for our life, we come to the point where we walk in knowledge. As we evaluate the voices that enter into our life and come into our life and we weigh them out against the scripture, introducing a standard, a standard of truth, a standard in which to, to weigh out all of the information that comes our way, to be able to separate what is right from what is wrong, what's true from what's false, we begin to walk in knowledge. And the more that we walk in knowledge and we begin to be acquainted with the very nature of God through our fellowship with him, seeing and experiencing his experiencing his compassion and his graciousness, his patience toward us, his abundance in love and kindness and truth toward us, the more that fellowship grows and is strengthened with every single encounter and every single experience, we step further into that wonderful life that he's given that knows no end, has no measure, and can only be defined as abundant. And it's the catalyst for the grace that we need, a catalyst for the peace that we desire. And he's made it fully available through Jesus to know him. Upon becoming a believer, those are the things that we confess. Upon becoming a Christian, those are the things that we embrace. But it's not just that one-time confession and that one-time embracing. Rather, this is that commitment to continue to be raised, continue to be formed by who he is, to enjoy and indulge in all that he's made available in his kingdom. I want to pray this morning, and I want to ask for knowledge to abound in the same way that Paul prayed in Philippians. I want to pray that for us, that the knowledge of who God is would abound, that all spiritual wisdom would abound in us. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in an attitude of agreement or a state of receiving, however you choose. But I want to pray together this morning for these things. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you love us and that you will never leave us or abandon us, but that you're raising us up in the way that we should go. And I ask now for myself, for this congregation, that you would fill us up with the knowledge of your will. You would fill us up with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Equip us with those things so that we can walk in that manner worthy of that call that you've placed upon our life in Jesus. And that we can be pleasing to you in all respects. That we can be fruitful and productive in every good work. And that we can constantly be increasing in fellowship and knowledge with you. Let that prayer be a prayer offered up today and let it be continually offered up before you that we would continue to seek and celebrate the moral wisdom that you have richly bestowed upon our lives by your spirit through Jesus. 
We rejoice in the promised results, the grace and the peace, the life and abundance that you have made a way for. Let them be things not simply sought to be achieved or or received in the future, but let them be embraced, lived out, and celebrated right here and right now for your namesake, for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom. We give you thanks that you love us. We rejoice that you're near, that you're raising us up in the way that we should go. We receive your correction. We receive your counsel. And we ask that your knowledge not only be sought after, but that it would be embraced and received. Let it be lived out and let the results of living with moral wisdom bring your will to pass with every aspect of our life. Let our words be affected, our attitudes be affected, our actions be affected. Let everything that we would do would reveal to this world the moral wisdom that you've released to us. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chancechurch.com.